So the Pope was visiting the United States and he had a Jewish driver. It was the first time that uh, he was in this very fancy limo. So he was very excited. So he asked, um, if the, he asked the Jewish driver if, if he could, uh, would mind to switch places with him. Have a seat. A few minutes, a few minutes won't hurt. He asked the Jewish driver if it's okay if he switches seats, he could sit in the driver's seat and try out the limo. So the driver says, sure. So he asked the driver if he minds. My driver says, no problem, let's switch seats. So he starts driving and he's very excited because he never drove such a fancy limo. And he's driving very fast, 70, 80, 90, 100 miles an hour. And all of a sudden, you know, you know, you know, it's pulled over. And the cop who pulls him over, he calls headquarters. He's a really big problem. I pulled over some very, very important dignitary. I'm not sure what to do. Who'd you pull over? You pull over the mayor of New York? No, more important than the mayor of New York. Who'd you pull over? You pull over the governor of New York? No, way more important. Who'd you pull over? The minister of defense? Who'd you pull over? I pulled over, I have no idea who I pulled over. But I know the Pope is his driver. So, <laughs> so um, the point is that we, every Jew is far more precious than we could possibly imagine. And uh, this is pertinent to think about right now as we approach the new year, as we approach Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the Torah says, Yoel, Yoel. Come join us. The midst of the day is to blow the shofar. The um, question is, why is that the midst of the day? Why is it so important to blow the shofar shoshana? What does that do? Why is, it, why is that the midst of the day? Rapsadi Goyen says that the uh, point of blowing the shofar is to carnate Hashem as our king. Just like when a king is carnated, they blow a trumpet. So too, we also blow the shofar to carnate Hashem as our king. Rapsadi Goyen says ten reasons. This is reason number one. This is, re- this is reason number one. So this is not just the first reason, but it's the most important reason. The question is, if you look at the coronation of other kings, no one is using the shofar. They have an orchestra, they have drums, they have all kinds of music, they have a choir. Who is using our shofar to coronate their kings? So what's the meaning specifically we use a shofar to coronate Hashem as our king? Why, why a shofar specifically? And it's not just the Kornet Hashem as our king. The shofar accomplishes so much. The Gemara says that when we blow the shofar, we cause Hashem, to, Hashem is sitting in the throne of judgment. And when we blow the shofar, it says in the Gemara, we blow the shofar uh, uh, in different alter- intervals throughout the davening. What's the purpose? It says the Gemara, Hashem rises from the throne of judgment and He sits in the throne of mercy as a result of blowing the shofar. The Gemara says further, Blowing the shofar confuses the satan. The satan comes before God to accuse us of all of our wrongdoing and to, and to demand that there should be some kind of retribution for our wrongdoing. So the blowing of the shofar, that changes everything. What's, what's unique about blowing the shofar that makes that major change? Especially if you consider the fact the shofar sound is, is not specific, which means it says in the Gemara, Kol is Any sound is kosher for a shofar. It doesn't have to have a specific sound. Yes, there's a certain formula of shvarim, tzlun, kia, but there's any sound at all is kosher in the shofar. So we're not trying to get a certain kind of sound. It's it just, the question is, what exactly is it in the shofar that, that makes this huge impact, that changes everything, that, that brings the blessing of Hashem for the new year, confuses the satan, brings God's mercy, 
causes God to rise from the seat of justice and sit on the seat of mercy. What is it about the Shefer? So, if you look at the story of creation, tonight is the third anniversary, the third night of creation, when uh, God gathered water together to prepare, to prepare for the creation of man. So it says in the Torah that God said ten sentences to create the whole world. In all the ten sen- sentences, the Torah used the expression by Yomer Elohim, God spoke. Only the creation of man does it say something different. The creation of man, it says in the Torah, God blew into man a spirit of life. What's the difference between speaking and blowing? So you know ourselves, if your child asks you to blow a balloon, a first balloon, a second balloon, a third balloon, and then you're done, right? When you blow, it requires a whole different kind of energy. In a similar way, when we say that Hashem blew into Adam, blew into Adam a spirit of life, what that means is, is that God gave in every Jew something from his gut there's something in us from so to speak the gut the essence of God that's, what, that's the meaning of, of the blowing of the shofar it's, it's reminiscent of the identity of who a Jew is it, uh, uh, we blow the shofar we think about how Hashem blew into us the spirit of life and how our neshama is actually a part of God that's one meaning of the shofar I'm going to share with you a deeper meaning which I'm sure you've heard before but it's something that we need to uh, absorb deeply, so it's worth hearing it again. Baal Shem Tev is the following parable. Baal Shem Tev says there was a king who sent his son to a far-off island, and he wanted his son to teach the people in the island who the king is, how the king cares about everyone, the king's benevolence, the king's care. And when the son arrived on the island, the king gave him lots of resources. He gave him servants, he gave him money, and as the um, king is there for a while, this, sorry, the prince is there for a while, he doesn't really achieve his mission. And instead, he forgets about everything. And because he had some, some complex issues, whatever they were, uh, the king's son squandered all the resources, lost all his men, and ends up in the street. So what does he have? He has no place to go, but go back home. So he wants to go back home. When he comes back home, so he has an issue. The issue is that he comes to the palace gates and he says, I'm the prince. And they don't believe him. You're the, another Meshuggah says that the prince, of course you're not the prince, it's ridiculous. And you can't even speak our language. You think you're the prince. It's really, he forgot already the language of the other palace. Not only did they not let him in, they hit him. They hit him and he's bleeding and he's suffering. And what does he do? He screams out, Father, Father, save me. Father, Father, help. So the king, although he doesn't recognize the language of his son, he recognizes the cry of his son. And the king goes and he, and he goes out and he, and he brings his son in. In a similar way, Hashem sends every Jew to this world with tremendous resources. He gives us an Hashem. Each Hashem has ten faculties. Chachma, Bina, Das, tremendous faculties, tremendous wealth. We come to this world and there's a lot of distractions. And we, uh, we could forget about the mission, forget even the language of the king. It's a crazy story. That's impossible. The, the Rebbe explains different meaning of the language of the king above oh, okay. words, above below words, but different, different stuff. I want to tell you a crazy story. Mm-hmm. story that, that it, it, it's hard to believe the story. There's a guy named Marcus Rodriguez. Marcus Rodriguez's parents got divorced, and they left Marcus's care uh, in the hands of some shepherd. They left him alone, and some shepherd took care of him. The shepherd dies. So Marcus is really alone, completely alone in the world. What's he going to do? So he goes into this cave, in the cave, a bunch of wolves. Marcus, at this time, is uh, seven years old. 
and the, the wolves starting, start to attack him. The mother wolf, she shoes them away. She gives Marcus some food, and Marcus stays with the wolves. He stays with the wolves from 7 to 19. He's there for 12 years. And he learns the language of the wolves. He behaves like the wolves. He's with them. He's, today he's 74 years old. And he talks about this time. He says it was such a great time in his life. <laughs> time was with the wolves. And obviously, when he, Baal Shem says, whatever you see, whatever you hear about, is a message from Hashem. And it's not so far off to understand that we have a lot, a very strong similarity to Marcus Rodriguez. We come from Ganeid. We have a holy soul of God. Together with the holy soul of God, we also have a wolf. We also have another part, we have an animal soul. And it's possible living in this world that the guy who gets center stage in our mind and our heart is the wolf. And it could go on for years and years. And uh, the question is, what do you do when this happens? So the Shemtiv says, just like in the analogy of the prince, you cry. The, the prince cries to come home. In fact, whatever Ashab said, Although in the parable of the Baal Shem Tov, he says, the king says some words, the prince says some words, Father, Father, save me, Father, Father, help me. The Rebbe Hashab one year said, the main thing is not, is not the words that the king, that the prince says, the main thing is the cry. And that year, the Rebbe Hashab said this, says that the, if I remember correctly, the previous Rebbe said that the, 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 the floor of the synagogue in Lubavitch was drenched with tears, hearing this, that the main thing is the cry of the child, the, the, the cry of the, of the Jew. And that's the difference between the shofar and all their instruments. All their instruments, they convey something. You play an instrument, you have something in your mind, something in your heart, you convey that with the instrument. Or you convey something with your words, you convey something with music, you convey something with a song. The shofar is not meant to convey anything. The shofar, it's a hard thing to blow the shofar. If you just look, talking, nothing's going to come out. Unless you go, oomph, you know? Unless you, oomph, it's not, it's not, nothing will come out. You know, as a child growing up, the teacher hands out the shofar. Who wants to try to blow the shofar? And it's hard to learn how to blow. You just blow. And, and, and you try to blow. Nothing happens. Eventually, you realize it's not just a blow. You have to blow from your gut. Go. And then, 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 then a, a sound comes out. The idea of the blowing of the shofar means like this. Hashem tells us, as New Year begins, something special happens to you. It says in Rosh Hashanah, saying our prayers, Hayoim haras elam. Today the world trembles. Another meaning of haras means today the world was born. The Talmud brings an argument about when the world was born. One opinion was the world was created in Nisan, Yeshua, another opinion of Eliezer, the world was created in Tishrei. And there can't be an argument about facts. Either the world was created on Nisan or was created in Tishrei. Which one? There can't be an argument about a fact. So Chassidus explains there was a thought of God for creation and there was an actual creation. The actual creation was in Tishrei. And in, it wasn't on the 25th day of Elul that we celebrate Rosh Hashanah. It's not that, that's not, that was two days ago. We celebrate Rosh Hashanah specifically on the day that man was created. Why and when man was created? Not because of what man does in technology and developing the world. Because man, it, the Torah says, is the whole point of creation. The purpose of creation is that a human being, that a Jew, should elevate creation by bringing God's holiness, by bringing God's kedusha, by bringing godliness and holiness, Hashem's life to the world. That's why, that's why the world was created. Hashem was created just, the world was created just for each of us to bring the kedusha of Hashem to the world. So when do we get distracted? And when we get involved with the wolves? So Hashem tells us, Rosh Hashanah, you should know something new happens to you. Just like when God created man, what happened to man on Rosh Hashanah? Before a soul is born, a soul swears to God to be a tzaddik. 
What's the point of swearing to be a tzaddik? You don't even know what you're getting into. You swear you're going to be a tzaddik. Do you, do you swear um, in heaven that you, when you're walking down Pico Boulevard, you're going to remember to go back to Shul to Dava Mincha? You know what you're doing? You, you, you don't know what the oath is about. You're not having my mitzvah yet either. How are you making an oath all of a sudden in heaven about what's happening in this world? So Chassidus explains, what's the word oath mean? Oath means satiated. Oath means full. Oath, oath means souped up. Every neshama, before coming to this world, Hashem empowers the soul and gives the soul tremendous strength. Each soul different than the other souls. Every soul is a unique gift for their specific mission that they have to do. And Hashem empowers each neshama with the strength that they need to have. So when Adam is born, when Adam is born, he swears to God to be a tzaddik on Rosh Hashanah, so to every single Jew on Rosh Hashanah, we receive new energy from Hashem. New strength from Hashem, new power from Hashem that we never got before. As the new year begins, Hashem opens up a door for each of us. And He gives us an incredibly new release of energy and strength to do our mission in the world. That's the meaning of Adam was satiated with strength on the day of Rosh Hashanah. And so to each of us, Hashem gives us all this strength. What do we, what, what do we need to do to get in touch with this strength? Hashem says, cry, scream. Not just cry. The shaper is a scream. All their instruments... In Greek, there's a word called yuli. I don't know too much Greek, but this is a word that Chassidus quotes a lot from, from Greek. Oh, Shamalech like a Vesper. There's a Greek word called yuli. Yuli is a, it means something which is unformed, a potential. So all other instruments, they use the yuli of the shofar, they use the, the, the sound of the shofar, but then it's the saxophone and, and the, the trumpet and the flute and the tuba, they, they filter that sound in different ways. The shofar is the essence of sound. The shofar is the essence of the cry of a Jew. The Jew... The shofar, the shofar, the shofar, the shofar. On the one side of the shofar, it's narrow. On the other side of the shofar, it's wide. The shofar is telling us, you've got to escape from the narrow constraints that you're in and open yourself up to the tremendous strength that God gives you. And to Rosh Hashanah, it's a new year. If to believe that Hashem is creating you anew, because Medrash says this, Medrash says that when the Jewish people start a new year and they did made mistakes and they made do tshuva Harris, you hear what's going on Jewish people start a new year says Medish and they make a decision to do new things says God I create them from new they're brand new people they never were here before that's what happens on Shoshana Shem creates us as if we're brand new it's a new start everything happened in the past Shem creates us anew through our tshuva through making decisions come closer to Hashem so it's all, it's all, it's all a new beginning so how do we get in touch? How do we start over? It's the cry of the shepherd. The cry we say to Hashem, we want to come home. That's, that's the meaning of the shepherd, that we recognize that Hashem is empowering us and blessing us and charging us with His mission, with His dream of making the world a home for Hashem. That cry unleashes that strength. That cry brings out from the narrow constraints of the shepherd to the wide other side of the shepherd. The, the, the cry of the shepherd, the shape of the shepherd represents how Hashem gives us all the strength, and how do we get in touch with it? It's by crying to Hashem, Hashem, yes, I, want, I, I believe in this, and I want this, and I want to come home. There was a uh, man who uh, sinned against the great Alexander the Great. He did something treasonous to the king Alexander the Great. So he's about to get his just desserts. So he says to Alexander the Great, can I speak to Alexander? Alexander, the Talmud says a lot of great things about him. Talmud even says that everyone named their children Alexander. Alexander is a Jewish name because of the kindness of Alexander to the Jewish people. Anyways, so they, can I speak to Alexander? 
Alexander says, you're speaking to Alexander. I'm right here. Talk. He says, I want to speak to Alexander the Great. <laughs> Alexander was smart. <laughs> he got the point. He said, okay, you're right. You're right. I forgive you. In other words, if you're big, everyone has inside of them their childishness and they have their greater part of themselves. They have their, how they're big and how they're small. As Alexander the Great, he forgives them. Alexander the Small doesn't forgive. So that, there was a, a, a little boy camel talking to his mommy. His mommy, why is it that we have these long legs? When it says we walk hundreds of miles in the desert, you have to have these long legs. But mommy, why do these ugly long eyelashes? My son, the desert winds uh, toss up all the sand into our eyes. Our long eyelashes protect us from all of the sand. Mom, why do we drink so much water? Camels can drink, like, I don't know how many liters of water. Crab on the water. Why, can we, why do we drink so much water? My son, we walk in the desert for such a long time, we need to have a reservoir of water so, so we could draw in this reservoir throughout our long treks in the desert. Mom, if we have these legs and these eyelashes and, these, and this reservoir of water to go travel in the desert, what are we doing in the zoo? So in a similar way, Hashem empowers the Jew to go to, into the exile in a situation where lots of dust gets tossed in our eyes, lots of confusion. Hashem asks us to travel the long time in the exile. It may end tonight, it may end right now. And Hashem gives us a reservoir of Torah to, enchar- to, to empower us. But what we have to realize is, is that we're not meant to be in the zoo. A lot of people put themselves in the zoo. They limit themselves, they define themselves, and they say, this is all I could do, and I can't do anymore. It's an unbelievable teaching of the Megala Mukis about the Shefer. You know how we know the um, sounds of the Shefer? We learn all the sounds of the Shefer from the mother of Sisra. Sisra was a general decided that he wants to destroy the Jewish people. The Talmud said he amassed a huge army. He had the biggest army in the world. He was ready to attack us. And the Torah says that Yael... So the largest army in the world sets out to destroy the Jewish people and the Jewish people are victorious miraculously with the help of God. And the Torah says that in the Song of Devorah about the victory against Sisera, the Torah says that the mother of Sisera is wailing, waiting, where is my son? She's wailing, where is my son? So the language the Torah uses about the mother of Sisera, about the Yabev, Aim Sisera, that language is a language that Torah uses about the blowing of the shofar. The Aramaic translation of the cry of the shofar is Yabava. So we learn that the kind of shofar blast we need to do is the same as the mother of Sisra. She cried for her son, and therefore we blow the shofar. What's the connection between the mother of Hitler, the mother of the Pharaoh, or the mother of Sisra, crying out the death of her son justifiably to our cry of the shofar? More. The uh, Arizal says the reason we blow a hundred blasts is because of the hundred times that she cried. What does it mean she cried a hundred times? So Galamuke says she cried a hundred times. Why a hundred times? When a woman gives birth, she cries a hundred times. In the process of birth, there are a hundred cries of a woman. So but corresponding to the hundred cries of Sisera's mother, therefore we have a hundred blasts of the shepherd. What's going on? We're talking about Sisera's death. She's crying about when he gave, was born. We're blowing the shofar now at the beginning of the new year when we're supposed to be born again as, as people. 
and reveal our new strength that God is giving us. What does one thing have to do with the other? Al-Mukas says an amazing thing. He says that um, how did Sisera die? There's a woman named Yael. And Yael, she came to Sisera and she seduced him. And when Sisera uh, drank and, and, and fell asleep, then she killed him. Before she killed him, the Talmud says, point to one opinion, that she was raped by Sisera. The offspring of that, of that um, was the grandson of Sisera. Who was the grandson of Sisera? The grandson of Sisera, the Talmud says, taught Torah in public in Jerusalem. Who was the one who taught Torah in public in Jerusalem? The grandson of Sisera, says the Talmud, this was Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva was the grandson of Sisera, just like Moses gave us the written Torah, the grandson of Sisera, Rabbi Akiva, gave us the oral Torah. And how, and that's why Yael was with him, because, why not, why she didn't decide to be with him, but the reason why this happened was because there was something in, in him that had to be brought out. There's some godly energy that was in him that had to be drawn out to become the father of, the, uh, to father Rabbi Akiva. And that's why it says in the Torah that Sisra told his men that they should guard the tent he was in. And if someone asks, Hayesh Ish, is there a man there? They should say, Ain, there's no people there. Magalo Mukus says, if you take the words, Yesh Po, are, is there someone here? Yesh Po is Gematria of 395. 395 is the number of the name of Rabbi Akiva. Akiva is 395. So if someone asks, is there a man here? What should you answer? You should answer no. But in Hebrew, the word for no is our Aramaic word for yes. So if someone asks, is there anyone here? Of course there's someone here. Rabbi Akiva is here. That's why the Torah says that the men of Sisera, the whole army was destroyed until there was one person remaining. Well, until there was one. The question was, why is it until, who was the one that was remaining? Does it mean until there was no one? Why is it until there was one? And the answer is, the Talmud says that when Rabbi Akiva was being tortured by the Romans and his the Shama almost left him, his students came to him and they saw he was smiling. They asked him, why are you smiling? And he said, I'm smiling because every single day, twice a day, we say in our prayers, you should love God with all your soul. And I was waiting my whole life. When can I give my whole soul to God? Or when can I do this? Finally, I want to give my soul to God. And I never had a chance. And now, Rabbi Kiva says, I finally have a chance to give my soul to God. So Talmud says, they combed his skin with iron combs. When he got to the word, he said, Tzadah Ting Shema Yisrael. When he got to the words, God is one, Hashem Echad, with those words, his soul left him. And Hasidus explains, it wasn't he was trying to do a trick. You know, Shema Yisrael, Shema Yisrael, I think I can make the Hashem Echad. No. Rabbi Kiva's whole life is about the oneness of God. That's what Rabbi Kiva is. Rabbi Kiva is about sacrifice. Rabbi Kiva is about total devotion to Hashem. So who was the one that was remaining in the army of Sisra? It was Echad. It was the one. It was the oneness of Hashem. The, the oneness of Hashem that is expressed in the life of Rabbi Kiva. So this is the answer to our question. Our question was, what is the death of Sisra, the mother of Sisra, Get, crying a hundred times when sister was born, what does that have to do with the blowing of the chauffeur at the beginning of the year when we're supposed to be born again as people? And the answer is, you might look at yourself. You may say about yourself that you have a lot of ugly things inside of you. You may look at yourself, but you're like sister. 
You're a Cisranic person. You're very Cisranic. Baruch, does that qualify as a word in English, a Cisranic person? You look very Cisranic. So, you may, you may think that about yourself. You may think you're very Cisranic. So Torah tells us you have to know something. To know what happens when you blow the shofar. You know, the Sfashtamah says something unbelievable about the blowing of the shofar. He says like this. The Torah says that you're not allowed to have <coughs> golden clothing when you go into the Holy of Holies. Why can't you have golden clothing going to the Holy of Golden clothing when the, when the Kohen Gadol says since there was a golden calf. The golden calf was um, some, an area where we fared, failed very much. So in order to rectify the failure of the golden calf, we, we, the Kohen Gadol the holy, goes into the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur. But it cannot be that what rectifies our sin is itself a sin. So therefore, he can't use gold. So in a similar way, the Talmud says, what is the appropriate horn to use blowing the shofar? The shofar has to be blown with the ram's horn. Why can't it be you use a bull's horn? Because the bull would remind God, would also, that would be reminiscent of the sin of the golden calf. We don't just that we can't use gold when entering the Holy of Holies, so too we can't use a bull's horn with blowing the shofar. The question is like this. The, ho- the Kohen Gobble did wear, white, wear gold clothing. He wore gold clothing outside the Holy of Holies. That means that it's okay to wear gold clothing as long as it's not in the Holy of Holies. So that means we're blowing the shofar, we're like the Kohen Gadol entering the Holy of Holies. And therefore the same rules that apply to the Kohen Gadol entering the Holy of Holies also apply to us when we blow the shofar. Just like the Kohen Gadol can't wear gold because in that holy place, that makes a difference. So when we blow the shofar, you're on the same, you're on the same um, sphere, the same, the same level as the Kohen Gadol in the Holy of Holies. He didn't wear the tzitz. Did he wear the tzitz? That's a good point. I don't know the answer to that question. I'm sure he did. Obviously, I would think no, but... No, he did. I don't know, I don't know the answer why, why that was okay. It's a good question. So, so... Huh? Well, he just said he could only go in with a linen garment, so he didn't go with all his... I, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, do, I do think he, he wore the, the tzitz, but I don't know. Um, why would I say that? He wore the special clothing for, for Kim Kippur. So, so that was the linen clothing of the of the crane head. You know, I don't think he did. I think I, think, I don't think where it sits. No, you actually didn't where it sits. Anyways, so we blow the shofar. We use one instrument. Why do we use one instrument? Instead of having, I don't know if you saw this, but there's a YouTube going around of the, this, this some temple, reform temple, I'm not sure. They have like a whole group of professional shofar blowers, professional chazanim, all blowing the shofar together to the tune of Avinu Malkeinu. And it, with their incredible prowess and talent, it still sounds pretty lousy. Avinu Malkeinu. It's, 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 if you're listening to the chauffeur and you're thinking, this chauffeur doesn't sound so good. The other chauffeur sounded better. The other rabbi will the chauffeur sounded better. This one's a little lousy. You're off. You're not in the chauffeur zone. The chauffeur is not supposed to sound like anything specific. The chauffeur, as the Talmud says, any sound is kosher for the chauffeur. What's the sound of the chauffeur meant to be? The sound of the shofar is a Jew turning to God and saying to God, I want to be have a relationship with you. I want to do your mission. I want a connection with you. I want to come home. There was a guy who was a thief. 
and he got in a lot of trouble, as thieves do. When he got into so much trouble, what did he do? He told the police, my dad, my mom, they did it. So what happened to the guy? The guy gets arrested. His father got arrested. His father got arrested for decades. So when his mother was so upset at him for what he did to his father, she didn't have anything to do with him. Years and years pass. And this boy, you know, he says to himself, he really, will, he really felt bad about what he did. He wants to uh, make amends. He wants to go back to see his mother. But she was upset at him for decades because what he did to his dad. So he sent her a letter. He's leaving the city he's in. He's passing by the town that she lives in. If there's any interest at all in him coming home to her, so please put a yellow scarf on the, on the, in the train station by the platform. Put a yellow scarf somewhere and then I'll know that you want me to come home. So he's driving on the train and he's with a, some, on the train tells this guy about this, 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 this message he sent his mother and he doesn't think there's anything going to be on that platform. Nothing to be in there because why would his mother want him? What he did to his father? She hasn't spoken to him in such a long time. They get to the platform. Every single uh, light in the platform, every single pole, every single seat, every, the whole thing is covered with yellow scarves everywhere. That's the story of each of us, comes Rosh Hashanah. We think, I'm, the, I'm from the mother of Sisra. I have no connection to all this stuff. I made all these mistakes. Hashem tells us Rosh Hashanah, it's not about that. That's Rosh Hashanah is before Yom Kippur. Why is it before Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is the day we ask God for forgiveness. Rosh Hashanah is the day we crown God as king. Shouldn't we get rid of our issues first and then talk about relationship with Hashem? Shouldn't we have Yom Kippur first? Say, I'm sorry for all the mistakes we've made. And then we have Rosh Hashanah and we could bond with Hashem. We could dedicate ourselves to Hashem. Why is it that we start off with, with Rosh Hashanah, we crown Hashem as king, and then we ask God for forgiveness? You know the answer? What's the answer? <laughs> The answer is, there's no room for forgiveness until there's a relationship. There was a girl, she's home, she's leaving to go to a party. Her father sees her, the father sees the way she's dressed. And the father says to the daughter, why dress like that? That's not the standards that I raised you to dress. How dare you dress like this? So the daughter says to the father, Dad, I'm dressed like this for months. You didn't say anything. You didn't even notice. She goes to her room and the dad calls a friend of mine. What do I do? So my friend told him, you, you, got, you got to go to work. You got to go to work. You got to go to work. What do you have to go to work? It's not about what she's wearing. She doesn't care what you have to say about her because you don't care about her enough. You have to have a relationship with her. You have to take her out. You have to be, be, you have to be close with her and be there for her. And when there's a relationship between you and your daughter, so then, 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 you, then she'll care about what you have to say. If you, if you care about her, then she'll care about what you have to say as well. If there's a relationship, you have to do a lot of, spend a lot of time in creating this relationship and, and build, rebuilding. Similar way, before we talk about asking God forgiveness for our mistakes, even Kippur, to have a connection to Hashem in the first place. So therefore, the very first thing that we do before Asking God for forgiveness, we establish a bond with with Hashem, and we blow the shofar Rosh Hashanah. 
We blow one instrument. Why one instrument? Baruch Tayyoy blow one instrument. We blow one instrument because all this, I'm talking very high, very high holy stuff. No, we're born again. We're sincere. We cry to Hashem from the narrow to the, to the broad. We, we, out of great constraint, we ask Hashem to assist us. Hashem empowers us. We want to release this energy Hashem is giving us. We want to accept it. Very high stuff. The Torah says use one instrument. Why use one instrument? There's a custom. Rosh Hashanah begins to accept upon yourself a new hidr, a new mitzvah, something new you haven't done before. Accepting something brand new. You haven't, you haven't done, done, done um, a certain mitzvah before. Rosh Hashanah comes supposed to accept that new thing. In that new thing that you do, it's only one specific thing, one tiny thing. In that thing, there has to be the cry of the shofar. You have to hear the cry of the shofar in that thing you're doing. Rosh Hashanah Hashem empowers us to accept them again, to connect with them in a deeper way. But it has to have something very concrete that this leads us to. There is a um, verse we say in, in our prayers, zimra. God chooses song. He likes us to sing. But also means God wants what's left over after the songs. After Rosh Hashanah is over, after the songs and prayers are over, what are you holding on to? What connection have you made? So that specific thing that you've chosen to do on Rosh Hashanah, that thing you've connected with, you've decided that you want to do to connect to Hashem this year, Hashem, I want, some, I want you, I want to come home, I'm doing something specific. I'm just crying to you, I want to come home. I'm doing something specific to make me come home, to walk home. That's that, in, in that thing you do, you have to, you have to connect with that moment of the shofar. The shofar is the moment of the year, but the rest of the year you have to call upon that moment. And that's why we have three shofars in the Torah. There are three shofars, shofars mentioned in the Torah. One shofar is blown on the Jubilee year. That shofar frees all the slaves. A second shofar is blown, we got the Torah. And a third shofar is, will be blown, Mashiach comes. Baruch, it's on the way, it should be any minute. I just want to let you know if it's where available. When Mashiach comes, it will be a big shofar. Oh. To Abdullah. Right. So the shofar blown when, when the slaves are freed represents. Again, the shofar is a call from your gut, a cry from your gut, a cry that you say, I want to be who I really am inside. I want to be born. I, want, I, want, I believe in the strength Hashem is giving me, and I'm embracing the mission Hashem is sending me on, and I know it's going to work. I know it's going to be victorious. Like the previous service says, a soldier going out to war, he sings a song of victory, he knows it's going to work. So we, sing, we, we, we heard the shofar when God gave us the Torah. When God gave us the Torah, it wasn't just telling us information. He etched into our very being who he is. A Jew and God are one. That's why at the Seder table, the night of the Seder, what do we tell the wicked son? We say to the wicked son, if you would have been there, you wouldn't have been redeemed. Why, why he came to the Seder, make him feel welcome. Why are we insulting him? So that explains a very long explanation. The short line, one liner of it is, we, to, we tell him, we're trying to motivate him. Only if you would have been there, you wouldn't have been redeemed. Mashiach comes, you're coming with us. That's a third chauffeur. When Mashiach comes, his shofar will be blown. And this shofar is called the Great Shofar. Why is it called the Great Shofar? Rabbi Savatitsky in Belgium, in Antwerp, he was invited to speak in this, in this uh, school where not religious children. He's talking about the Great Shofar of Mashiach. The shofar will be blown. And one kid raises his hand, actually, it's whispers to get next to him. Mashiach's going to be in Israel. How can you hear the shofar all the way in Israel? Another kid says, you understand, it's not the shofar when you're born in Israel. It's not a sound. You hear it with your heart. You hear it anywhere. How right he is. That's the meaning of blowing the shofar of Mashiach. It says all those who are lost in the land of Egypt, all those who are cast aside in the land of Assyria, 
will come to Jerusalem. What's the, what is, what, who, are, who is Egypt? What does Egypt represent? Talmud says there's no creature in the world that God does not test. Some people have the test of poverty, some people have the test of wealth. And in that itself, there's different kinds of poverty, different kinds of wealth. Everyone's, getting, everyone's being tested. Egypt means you're missing something. Assyria, Ashur means you're fortunate. You have some, you're, something good happened to you that you have. You, you have some resource. Some people get lost because of what they're missing. Some people, some people get lost of what they have. So the chauffeur, Godel, why is it a great chauffeur? You know it's a great chauffeur because it touches every single Jew in the whole world. Now whether we're lost because of our lack of knowledge or lack of resources or lack of, lack of uh, sensitivity, or we're lost because we're you know, in our show, we're submerged in all things we shouldn't be submerged in, the chauffeur is blown and the chauffeur awakens in us this desire, I want to come home to Hashem. So as Hashem begins, we will also blow a chauffeur. But the chauffeur of Shoshana is not a great chauffeur. Unlike the chauffeur of Mashiach, which may we hear the chauffeur tonight, the chauffeur of Rosh Hashanah requires us to decide we want to be there. It doesn't automatically work. You have to decide you want to be there with the chauffeur. You, you want to connect with this message. You, you, want, you, want, you want to call out to Hashem. You, you want to be there. You don't want to be with the wolves. You don't want to be like, like Marcus Rodriguez, growing up with the wolves. You, you, you cry to the Abishur. You want to come home. And, and you make a good decision. You make a decision. You, you're going somewhere. You know, Hashem created man at the end of all, all of creation. Well, he's the last one. Why is he the last one? Talmud says two reasons. Reason number one is because everything should be ready for man. Man should be here at the end. That's why man's created last. He were the honored guest at God's banquet. Another reason is we are meant to perfect the world. So therefore created the end to perfect God's world. One second. Are we the honored guest at God's banquet? Are we supposed to enjoy the banquet? Or do we have, are we here to serve? Which one, which one is it? And the answer is that we have to realize that both things are true and that there's a synergistic message here. Whatever God gives us, it's about serving God. Without how wealthy we are physically, spiritually, it's about serving God. Whatever resources Hashem gives us, gives us great hamburgers, Baruch Hashem, it's about serving God. And, and, and Hashem empowers us, Rosh Hashanah, with tremendous strength, with tremendous power, and we have to realize who we are and what we are, and how whatever Hashem gives us, it's, it's meant to bring God's holiness and, and godliness in the physical world. May Hashem bless us all to uh, hear the cry of the Shefer, hear God's calling out to us, grow, to, to, to rise where we were before, that we're not in the zoo, and to hear our own cry, our own neshama, that we want to be home with Hashem, and we should hear the great Shefer in Yushalayim, with Mashiach Zekeinu, take my mamash. L'chaim.